Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 33, Doris Angleton. I'm Brittany. I'm Carrie. And we are Lone Star 187. Back for another week. Welcome to the new episode with our new microphones. Don't we sound so crisp? Like we're. No more cone tip microphones. No more cone tips. We have upgraded. Upgrade? Does it sound like we're literally whispering in y'all's ear while you're driving? Because <laughs> it's so crisp. Hopefully, we don't have any weird background noises, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So, so where are we this week? Well, seems as though a lot of murders happen in Houston. Okay. Yeah, but this, we've already done a few. We have. Years. But this was a pretty, it's a different story than what we've done. So I saw a show called Power, Privilege, and Justice. And I was watching it and I was like, this is such a good story and it's in Texas. And when I went back to my books, I was like, oh my God, I have a book on it. Death in Texas. Death in Texas uh, by Carlton Smith. So I read the book, and then I watched the documentary because I didn't want to get it twisted. I want to make sure I had facts. And the book was pretty much spot on. The book was um, not as good as the documentary. I'll put it that way. Usually it's the other way around. Usually yeah. the books are better. So I'll say the documentary was um, a little bit better. It takes us to April 16th of 1997. So we're not in the summer. Wow. We're in the spring. and it's the first. Yes. So Miss Doris Ingleton... And her husband, Bob Angleton, have a set of twin daughters. And the daughters are going to a baseball game. So the dad, Bob, takes the daughters to the baseball game. And the uh, and the mom, Doris, pulls up. And he's like, oh, my God, I completely forgot the girl. One of the girl's favorite baseball bats is at the house. Can you go get it? She's like, yeah, I'll go home Uh-oh. and I'll, like, check the mail. I'm already <laughs> suspicious because it sounds familiar to another story. So he tells her, can you go get that? She's like, yeah, I'll go let the dog out, and I'll get the mail and stuff, and I'll, I'll be back. So the husband goes, takes the girls to the game. The game's almost halfway through, and his daughter doesn't have her bat, and he's like, what is taking her so long? So he goes and pulls his daughters out of the game, and he's like, we got to go check on mom. Like, she's been gone way too long. I'm worried. Let's go back to the house. So about 9 p.m., Bob and his daughters, they drive up. As they pull up to the home, the house is dark. And they live in River Oaks subdivision, which is like the Highland Park in our area, like very rich neighborhood. They have an alarm on their house. And so he pulls up. The house is dark. He's like, you know, I'm just I have a really bad feeling like it's not like her. Her car's here. She's not answering the home phone. She's not answering her pager. Something is not right. So he's afraid of what if there's a burglar inside? So they don't. So they have an alarm. The house is really dark. Yeah. So, so he tells the kids to stay in the car. Well, so he's in the car and his daughters are like, Dad, don't go in there. If something bad is in there, we don't want anything to happen to you. So let's just call 911 and let's just... So he backs up and he pulls a little bit away from the house and he calls 911. And he calls 911 and he said, Girl, stay in the car. I'm just going to walk up to the house. Maybe she fell asleep. I'm just going to look in the window. So he sees that the back door is slightly open. So he backs off from the house. And he's calling 911 and he tells them, you know, this is a situation. I was at the baseball game. He tells them what happened. He's like, my, my wife has to be in there. Her car's here and I'm afraid there could be a burglar. And yeah. I have two kids with me and I just don't know what to do. They're like, no problem. We'll send an officer out. And he asked if my alarm happened to go off. And they said, no, we don't see any signs of your alarm mm-hmm. going off. 
So Officer Kevin Carr is the first officer on scene, and he he gets there, and he was very adamant that the husband's like, I'm telling you something is wrong with my wife. wife. Either she has had a medical problem, she's passed out. So the husband's saying, you know, she could have had a medical episode, and if it is, I don't want to be the one to find her. He's been trying to call her, right? Yes. She's not answering. The pager, home phone, nothing. And then the back oh, door. Oh, this was the 90s, so there were pagers. Not right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. And he's leaving messages on the voice on the home oh. voicemail, so he's like, the answering machine. So he's like, you know, if she heard me, she would answer. And I'm just concerned we have a dog. The dog's not in the backyard, so that means the dog's inside. She's going to let the dog out, so, so I'm just worried. So she never let the dog out? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway... <laughs> So the officer um, goes in, and he goes in the back door that was ajar that the husband had walked up to, and he said he walked in, and he didn't get more than five or six steps in, and he kicks a shell casing. Uh-oh. And he's like, okay. He turns the light on, and there she is. Doris Ingleton is laying dead in the in the walkway of from going from the back of the house to the front of the house. Okay. And so he sees, obviously, she's been shot in the head and the chest. Um, he, he checks. There's no vitals. She's a little cool to the touch, so it's, it, it's been it, a while. It's been a little while. And he gets, it happened as soon as she got back home to go yes. get the bath or whatever. Right. And he, but he can tell that it was definitely an overkill. He's like, I, when, I, when they interviewed him, he's like, it wasn't like, oh, there's one or two gunshots. It's like she was just annihilated with, with, with bullets. And so he walks outside and he's like, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but your wife's been shot. And so he starts running away with his hands in the air, like yelling and screaming, like, you know, like an orangutan. Like that's how they described him. But no tears, no nothing. Just like screaming, like, I can't believe this is happening. Just like, like screaming. Like he was acting. Like it didn't seem like he was unconsolable or that he was shocked. It was just more of like a He was a trying to portray that he was, was freaking upset, out. Yeah. but he didn't want to be too close to them in the event they noticed he was a crime. Or right. So they start looking around the house and they're like, you know, something's wrong here because her purse is sitting right. So where she is, which I'll post pictures, but she's found like laying in the hallway and where her head is facing right here is a counter and her purse is right there. So is this a, an entry? Is this a door? This is into the kitchen. Why is my laptop on warp speed right now when we're trying to record? Really? It's a jet plane trying to take off. So right here is to the backyard where the dog would have been let out. So the back door is like back here. So she's walking. So right over here is her purse. Not touched. Hmm. There's no sign of force injury. They have an alarm. The alarm is not cut. I mean, it looks like. So potentially someone she knew. Maybe like rammed her as she was walking in the house, or, they or walked or, in with her, or knew the code. Maybe family friend or something. So they're worried that this isn't a robbery. They had lots of um, bonds paperwork just on the other end of where she was was her husband's office, and there's just bond paperwork just sitting there. So I mean, like bonds like, like stocks and yeah, bonds like stocks and, and bonds with like account Who numbers. Who that shit just laying around? You'll see. So since she was in the entryway. They do feel that she was shot as soon as she walked in. Whether they followed her in or they were standing there waiting for her, um, she and it, they don't feel that it was a robbery in progress because nothing had been overturned. And there's no way that they just happened to walk in at the same time. The detectives are looking around at how the shots were fired and how they were pretty much all in one place. Um, they felt that she was knocked down with the first shot and she stayed down and she was just riddled with 13 gunshots. Damn, so there are no defensive wounds or anything. They no. shot her and she went nope. down and she stayed down. And she stayed down. They do believe that there were two guns, both the same type of gun, but definitely one shooter. 
So she was shot with 13 bullets. 13 bullets, yes. Um, they do believe it was two guns, but one shooter, because they were saying that if it had been two shooters, the way she was laying, because she was laying uh, length way of the hallway instead of horizontal with the hallway, that if, because she was laying that way, there would have been to keep from shooting each other, they would have been two gunmen pointing down at her, but across from each other. Okay. And because of the way that the bullets were, it was definitely two guns pointing in the same, coming from the same direction. So all the bullets beside each other, probably. No, the two people were standing beside each other. Two guns, one shooter. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they were saying if it had been two different people, then the angles would have been different because it was the same height coming from the same direction. It would have had to been one shooter. Because okay. it had to have been two different people, then the angles would have been off, whether one person shorter or taller or oh, how they hold their hand. So, so the execution style, when you roll in with two guns in one hand, like Ooh, not hand <laughs> Very much so. So they the crime scene comes in and there are no fingerprints. Oh shit. Like nowhere. Not on the door handles, nothing. So they're like one of two things they happened. Had gloves. They had gloves or they wiped everything down. Because they could, they should have at least found Mr. and Mrs. Angleton or the daughters, but there was oh, no, there were none, no okay. fingerprints. So that means they had to have wiped it down mm-hmm. because otherwise there would have been other fingerprints. Something, something, somewhere. Wow, professionals. So of course their first, their first person thereafter is obviously Bob because like all of our, sh- all the shows, all the stories, it's either the husband, the wife, or someone really close to them. Very rarely is it just a random stranger, especially since there's no signs of forced entry. Nothing. They didn't steal anything. Nothing appears to be missing so far. Mm-hmm. Right. So. So they they talk to Bob. They're like, "We need you to come down." He's like, "No problem, no problem. You know, whatever you need." So they're sitting at the table and they're they're haven't really reached interrogation because they don't really have any evidence on him, but they want to take whatever he's willing to give them. So they're talking, and of course they have their cassette recording. And he's like, "Can you stop that for a second? Because I I need to tell you something, but I don't want it on on tape." And they're like, okay, sure, no problem. So they stop the tape. And he said, do you know why I live such a socialite lifestyle? Do you know why I live in River Oaks? Do you know why I make so much money? Because I'm a bookie. Oh, shit. And they're like, okay. So he decides to... So okay. he's like, I just want to let he's you know that. He's playing an angle. I he's like, I'm just, I'm just telling you I'm a bookie. And I'm telling you right now, it has to do with my lifestyle. Someone went after her thinking maybe it was me that reached the home or maybe they're mad at me. So I think I'll give you a list of all my clients, whatever you need. Now, mind you, of course, this is the homicide division, right? Not the local police. Mm -hmm. So he's more willing to, I guess, talk to them at that time. So Well, because he's not the one that is at this point, like, I don't know if I believe that he's completely innocent Mm -hmm. yet. Okay. But he knows that right now they're just looking for the killer Mm -hmm. and he's trying to... Make it look like he's cooperating and coming clean with everything and right. not afraid to do so. Sure. Yeah. So a little bit of history on yes. them. Yes. A little bit of history. Like I said, they live in this River Oaks division, which is like Highland Park, million dollar homes. Very, very rich. So Bob Angleton, his dad was a big real estate guy. He built high rises in Houston, Dallas, all over Texas. He was a multimillionaire and taught his son a lot of different ways of how to hustle, how to make money. Um, him and Doris first met um, when they were in their mid-20s. They were both already married. They started dating. Then they both divorced. Then they went back to dating. And then they got married. Okay. So they met each other while they were married, had an affair. They got divorced and got married. They had twin girls. So Bob 
had always made a lot of money and Doris never really asked because he would leave and go do stuff. And I kind of thought when I heard that, I was like, you know, when you get to know someone, don't you ask them like, what do you do for a living? Like, isn't that in your top five questions when you meet someone, especially someone you're going to date? Like, you know, how old are you? Do you have any kids? Have you been married before? What do you do for a living? (laughs) Yeah, she knows that for sure. So um, asking what you do for a living would be a normal question. And he just told her, oh, you know, I own some strip malls and some restaurants. It was very like... I'm into import and export. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into sales. I'm a a salesman. And so because his dad was, you know, multimillionaire and had all this real estate, most of the property he had was kind of given to him more so than him buying it. So kind of fell into his lap and the strip malls he had, you know... Like, we had this discussion before about what's in a strip mall. There's a donut place, there's a tanning place, there's a dry cleaners. So, I mean, I'm sure... Your nails done. Yeah. So, he was making money. They were able to live a comfortable lifestyle. She was able to get whatever she wanted, do whatever she wanted. They were able Mm -hmm. to provide for their daughters. So, around the time of her murder, he was bringing in about $2 million a year. Damn. Between the... And that's all in cash. Like, their bank accounts never had very much money in it. It was all in cash. Because so he had those damn deposit boxes at the bank. Mm-hmm. So what he filed taxes for and what went in his bank account was the real estate, you know, the rent Stuff and all of that. Account for. Exactly. Yeah. So right before, a couple months before her murder, um, Doris confided into a friend that they had bought a house in Galveston and they were thinking about buying a house in Corpus Christi. You know, just buy all this stuff and she told her friend what her husband did because after a couple years before the murder he confided in her I guess he felt that he could told her he was a bookie and he's like this is the last time now that I've told you I've got to kill you possibly possibly yeah possibly so two years before she he which uh, that's a long time and he basically told her I've been doing this now for 10 years and so but was she not ever suspicious come on well, she was she not involved in the banking and the no, bill paying and no, all that? No, she was a stay-at-home mom. Like she didn't, if she needed something. She was like, I have to go to the grocery store. And he's like, here's So I guess money. they had an accountant that did all that stuff. So the bills just got paid magically. And I'm she sure. Didn't have to do well, that. I'm sure he probably paid the bills. She was a stay-at-home mom, so well, she, she never really knew their worth. Their no, network I mean they. His. She knew that they never had to want for anything, and if she wanted something, all she had to do was ask. And the bills were paid. I mean, their house they paid cash for. Their cars they paid cash for. So the only bills they really had were like... Yeah, but if you don't have enough money, like if you... Most women, when they're married, have a concept of how much money their spouse makes. Mm -hmm. So if you start paying cash for everything, you're not going to be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. I'm going to be suspicious as fuck if you start... But we... If you... We are not the same caliber women as other women. We, okay. like, we are ride or die women, but we got a lot of questions before we ride or die with you. That's right. Right? Yeah. You answer all our questions, we're good. I'll yeah. be there for you, but you gotta be honest with me, right? Fair Not. Enough. And she's getting I everything guess I she feel ever like wanted. she's a little oblivious if little she bit. isn't paying attention to what's going on and seeing that he's paying cash for all this stuff unless she thinks they financed it. She That's a red think, flag for me, I guess is what I'm saying. And maybe she didn't know how much cash he was being used. But towards the end, she did because she was getting irritated that everything was cash because she knew. And maybe he got to the point where he was making so much cash that he had to be like, look, this is what I do because I'm going to have to start keeping this in a suitcase. You know, like... Like I mean, can you imagine $2 million in cash? And that's just Mm -hmm. what the bookie business brings in. That doesn't account for your real estate businesses that you have. 
But that can go in the bank and they don't have to hide that or launder that or anything. No, that's true. That's true. Because he was making so much money, he started, he decided that he was going to go to the local police and he was going to um, make them a deal. And when was this? This was... After he told her the truth? After he told her the truth. So a couple of years... She was a couple of years before. He was worried about, especially with them having daughters and all that. She's like, well, you're going to have to do something to know that we're, I'm, I feel safe. He's like, how about this? I'm going to be a criminal informant. I'm going to go to local police and say, look, I'm a bookie and I make a lot of money. But if you let me, I will snitch on my clients and I will snitch on the other bookies that are doing things wrong. And I will give them to you as long as you keep the local police off my back. So he was going and he was snitching on mm-hmm. other bookies. So they would get caught. And number one, it got rid of his competition. And number two, it kept him safe because he was keeping up his end of yeah, the deal with local you police. Not, at some point, somebody's going to catch him. Of course. Probably watching it. Of okay. course. I'm getting ahead. Okay. So she started getting, Doris started getting more and more worried about the girls being around that because he conducted all his business in his office at their house. So she didn't like that the girls were there and he was, and then sometimes like one, one of his friends said that he would go to the country club every couple of days and like swim laps in the pool. And he had one of those old big cell phones on each end of the pool and he would swim to the other end, pick up the phone, make deals, make bets, go to the other end, pick up the phone, make bets and just make money back and forth, back and forth all day long. So Doris starts to start to fall out of love with him a little bit because she feels that he's always working and he's never honest and he kept this secret from me for so long and mm-hmm. he's put look what he's doing to our family you know like it's not Putting worth it in danger and- so she's she learns the online chat world in 1997 well she's probably starting to wonder if he's lying about this what other things is he doing that he's mm-hmm. lying about yeah. as well Right, and what is he, is he spending the money on someone else? And he and I were married to other people when we got together, so how do I know he's not doing the same thing with someone else? Of course. Is yeah. he really working, or is he, like, chatting with women online all day? Right, right. <laughs> so Doris starts chatting online, she makes friends, and she starts to have an affair with a stockbroker in New Jersey. And oh, wow, he flies, yeah, he flies her there a couple of times, and they meet in a hotel, and they stay, and... She felt that him coming to Texas was too dangerous because of everyone that her husband knew. And she didn't know his clients. Yeah. And she felt, well, he's not doing business in New Jersey. So I'll just go there. So she, they met several times and they had an affair. So four weeks prior to her being her murder, she had filed for divorce. Okay. She, she said she wanted her life back. She was tired of living on cash because a lot of things she couldn't get. You know, there's a lot of things you can't get with just cash. You have to have a credit card if you want to stay in a hotel. You know, you have... All these different things you you can't earn rewards if you don't have a a card. um, How old were her daughters at the time of her murder? 14. Okay. Twins. Mm -hmm. So back to, so Bob's interrogation starts, right? They're asking him, he pauses the tape. He's like, I'm a bookie. He's like, so I just want you to know that um, four weeks prior, about a month ago, she did file for divorce, but it was mutual. We both discussed it and we really decided that it was best that my lifestyle, I wasn't going to change it. I like my lavish lifestyle and it's kind of fun living a dangerous lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I feel safe as far as local police because I have people in my back pocket. If I ever feel that a client is going to hurt me or another book is going to hurt me, I got the police on my side. So I'm not worried about it. Number two, I like to do what I want when I want. And I can give my daughters whatever they want. So if this isn't a lifestyle she wants, I'm okay with her going her own way and I'll go mine. Like he could basically buy a new wife if he wants one. I so guess. he's not worried about it. Yeah. 
So he tells him, you know, it's it's totally fine. But I think I know who did it. Oh, of course. He said, you need to go look after my, my brother, Roger Angleton. He's my older brother. He's a little bit wild. He's a little eccentric. He's got a past. And I'm, I just, I really, I really, really think that he had something to do with it. Because I hired him to help with my business. But I fired him about two months ago because he was taking advantage of me. I was going to go to the police. But I didn't. I was worried about it, but I told him, you know what? I'm going to give you a monthly settlement. I'm going to give you some money every month, and you just leave me alone. And he said, and since then, we haven't talked. And he said that a few months prior to the murder, that his brother demanded $200,000 more than what the settlement was. And he said, I'm going to go to Houston, and I'm going to do something to you that would make him hurt. And he felt that he came and killed his wife as revenge for not giving him the money. Okay, it seems a little extreme. Yeah. So, but, I mean, what if the brother is a brother in love with his wife? Okay. okay. So they look up uh, Roger Angleton, and he showed to have a warrant for his arrest in California, and that he was supposed to be in court the day of the murder, and he didn't show up. Okay. So they go look. Suspicious? <laughs> Very suspicious. So they start running all of his credit cards and all of his banks, and they find out that he stayed in Houston the week of her murder. That he used his credit cards at several gas stations, hotels, and restaurants the whole week that she was murdered. They go back and look at surveillance of when he came to the airport. And they see... He being the brother. Yes, Roger. Okay. They see that when he came through DFW Airport, he was stopped. His suitcase went off and he was stopped. And they found two guns in his suitcase, wigs, hair dyes, the newspaper... What a dumbass. A newspaper clipping of Doris Angleton's murder and the gun was a 22 caliber which was the murder weapon okay this is a little too easy so detectives go to San Diego looking for him and his wife Jennifer answers the door she's like you know I'm glad y'all are here because I haven't seen him in weeks I've been calling him and calling him and I called and they saw that she had called to file missing persons and they're like people can go missing if they want to he's an adult he's an, maybe he just didn't want to be with you anymore that's so shitty right like come maybe on. he maybe he doesn't You're like the it. problem. So don't be worried if your husband doesn't come home. He's just not in love with you anymore. Right, right. Assholes. So they go looking for him, they can't find him. So then they start researching his cell phone records and her home records, and they find on his cell that there's a lot of cell numbers on her cell phone from Vegas. So they call the number and it's the people that have called her or she called out. That they called her. Okay. And that she didn't answer. But they saw it come through and it would go to voicemail. But she didn't answer, nor did she, there was no outgoing calls, just incoming to the home phone and her cell phone. Okay. So they call it, and it's a Las Vegas jail. So they call the jail, and come to find out, Roger's in jail. So why is he calling her? To bail him out. That's his wife. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought you were talking about Bob's wife. Oh, no. Roger's wife. Okay. Jennifer. Where they went, they're like, oh, it's okay that he's been missing. Well, so she it. didn't answer it because... If your husband's missing and somebody's calling you and it's not a number you recognize, you might should fucking answer it. She didn't. I mean, what was the reason why she didn't answer the phone? Did she say? I don't know if they asked her. Okay. So. Idiots. <laughs> he bails himself out of jail or gets himself bailed out somehow. So he checks himself into a Las Vegas hotel. And while they're looking for him, like they're on their way to Las Vegas to look for him to see if he's still there. And the jail's like, no, he's been bailed out. He, he, he made bail. He left. And, like, God's work is so great. As they're on their way to the hotel, or on their way to the jail, 
they get a call from the police station. They're like, hey, there's a lost, there's a, a what are those people called at the a front desk? Receptionist. Receptionist or clerk or whatever they call them. Like the people that check you in at the Concierge? hotel. Sure. Yeah. I can't think of the word. Maybe it's concierge. They're calling and they're like, hey, this dude just came in. He checked in with a fake ID and I'm there's just something off about him. Like, can you come check him out? Like, we went ahead and let him check in so that he didn't leave, but there's just something shady about him. They're like, sure, no problem. What's his name? What does he look like? And they tell him and they're like, this, this is my PR guy. So they get to the hotel. Now, mind you, he has no idea they're coming. He has no way of hiding. And good on the clerk for, like, recognizing that something was mm-hmm, shady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they get there. They go into the hotel room. And they search him to find $64,000 in cash and cassette tapes and a series of typewritten notes with an alarm and gate codes. Okay. So somebody paid him to kill her. So they start reading through it. And it is like, it is like girls have baseball game at 8 p.m. Yep. This is how you, this is the alarm to the back door. Make sure to go in this door. Like, very specific instructions. Gate codes to get into the River Oaks subdivision. I mean, it's like a laid out plan. Like, perfect plan. So, and then like, what Doris usually did. What days she did them. When she got her hair done. I mean, like, all about her life. Like, she had been followed. Like, very, very easy. So, he, they... Take him in, because he already had a warrant in California right, anyway. So he had everything they needed. So they sit down and they talk to him. He's like, okay, Bob asked me to kill his wife. And no, he told me there. he told me that he would pay me a million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars a year over ten years. So this is where <laughs> this is where Bob was trying to tell them about the monthly settlements. I think this was his way of kind of like trying to cover up any money that he would be sending his brother. Oh, okay. To make it look like, oh, well, that was a business he's deal. He's really not as smart as he thinks no, he is. No, he's not. They're interrogating him, and he just, he doesn't want to say anything else. He's like, that's all I can tell you. That, I don't know what else. I don't know what else. So they take the cassette tapes out that were in his suitcase, and they start listening, and they hear Roger very clearly talking to another man, which they're pretty sure is Bob, but they can't, they pre- can't prove it. Right. Plotting Doris's murder. And they're... They, they, they hear him talk about basically what was in the paper, on the paper, written down. But it was more of, okay, I'm going to do this, then you do this. And Just he was saying, of events, yeah. lining it all up. And in, in the documentary, they play it and you can hear, because Bob's further away, so you can tell if it's Bob. Um, you can tell that the person talking is Roger and it's, whatever the microphone is, it's right on him. So the other person's a little bit far away. Doris was concerned that after the divorce... If Bob's lifestyle ever surfaced, that since she was married to him during the time, that she would owe all the taxes on that cash. Hold on. Why are they mic'd up? Why is all this being recorded? Why did Roger tape it? Why was it being recorded? You'll find out. You'll find out. Okay. Yeah, you'll find out. Okay. So if anything happened to him, she would be responsible for any back taxes. Right. And so she contacted a tax attorney who told her, you need to request an amended tax return for all the years you were married that you knew or he was a bookie and report the real money that was made. Otherwise, you're going to be responsible for that money. And Bob knew if she did that, that he would lose everything and go to federal prison for tax evasion. So Bob and Roger devised a plan mm-hmm. for Roger to do it, then accuse, then for Bob to accuse Roger, but in the process, Roger ran away which is why he had hair dye and wigs. He would run away to another country with all the money that he had because he was supposed to get his million dollars. And these guys are so stupid. Like, how did they really believe that this shit was going to work? <laughs> and then 
you why would you schedule the murder on a day that you're supposed to be in court and get yourself a warrant? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to kill her the day I'm supposed to be in court because they won't suspect me. No. No, go to court, clear your name, and then... Then go. I mean, I'm not saying kill anyone. I'm not no. saying that. I'm just saying don't be so stupid. So... Don't be so stupid. Don't be so stupid. So now Roger's in jail. Roger's in jail. And obviously the plan is not is not working. Clearly. So their goal, the detective's goal, is to flip Roger. Because at this point, he's the only one that can lose everything. Bob's not going to lose anything at this point. He didn't care that his wife's gone. He, he still has his care job. That his brother-in-law's in jail or his brother. He doesn't right. give a shit about that. So Roger kind of gets the thing for one of these reporters. I mean, she's pretty. I'll give her. I'll give her that. And so he basically tells her everything, like detail, detail, everything. And he says, "I'll tell you everything, but you can't release it until after my trial. After my trial." and I'm found innocent, and they can't try me again, then you can release everything. And she's like, okay, I will keep it a secret. So Roger... So, so Roger stated the price was $1 million, $100,000 a year, but Roger was afraid that Bob wouldn't pay him. See, that's what I was thinking. Which is why he recorded the conversation. Okay. Because of them talking about the murder, so that if he didn't pay him, he'd be like, look, you thought you were going to get off scot-free? I got this tape, so give me my, give me my cheddar. So he really, really thought that by recording it and playing it for the cops, the cops were going to arrest him for murder. No. The cops are going to say, oh, we're so sorry, Roger. Bob, give him his money. No, no. He he was going to tell Bob, I'm going to tell the police about this oh, tape if you don't pay me. that. Okay. Yeah, that was like his blackmail to his brother. Roger did show up at the house during the game. He cleared the alarm. He hid inside. He put the baseball bat in the backyard so she would have to go through the house, to the back door, to the backyard, to get the baseball bat. And as she approached the back door to go in the backyard is when he shot her, which is why she was where she was. And he did have one gun in each hand. One hand, yep. Mm -hmm. 13 rounds to his sister-in-law. The mother of his nieces for a million dollars. Guys, I swear. So Bob hires a very well-known attorney, Mike Ramsey. I think he was an attorney for someone from Enron, I think. So he there so the defense is like, oh shit. But they're like, it's all right, it's all right, you know. I'm sorry, the prosecution was really worried because yeah. his defense attorney was Mike Ramsey. So at the pre-trial hearing, the prosecution was saying that Las Vegas PD improperly searched Roger's suitcase so the notes and cassette could not be used against him. And when they when they played the video, they were like, that was the worst police work ever. So they couldn't use the cassette tapes, and they couldn't use basically all pieces of evidence against him. They couldn't. That's bullshit. So while he's in jail waiting, they get a call on February 6, 1998, that Roger has committed suicide in his jail cell at the county jail. He slit his wrist 55 times, and he left a note saying that he did it and to let Bob go free. That I did it, Bob didn't do it, I did it. This is something I can do for my nieces and for my brother. Um, this is it. So he, what so, about his wife? Did they have any kids? I don't think I so. I mean, I know he was married. I'm yeah, right, yeah I don't know. I don't know. No justice there. So the detectives were like, no, no, no. We have to get justice because yeah. this isn't right. This is bullshit. This isn't he's right. Car- he's killed his wife. Now he probably convinced his brother to commit suicide. Probably, yeah. Probably. I, mean, I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. Take the rap for me. Mm-hmm. So the detectives go back and decide to reanalyze the cassettes 
and they're 80% sure that it's Bob. They're like, we're going to get him. We can't get him for the murder. We can get him for murder for hire or something mm-hmm. else. So in July of 1998, which would have been 15 months after the murder, Bob goes to court for trial um, for murder for hire. And the prosecution explains that Bob has every motive to kill her, right? Like she knows about his job. She's going to leave him and make him pay all these back taxes where he'll lose everything. Everybody will know what he did. I mean, he has more than enough reasons. Pick one of any of them, and they're enough to kill her. Plenty of of motive. They show the cassette tapes. They play them. They convince the jury that it's Bob. But the defense says um, that that's not Bob. That's Roger and and another hitman. But the hitman didn't work out, which is why Roger did the killing. I mean, fairly, fairly strong theory, but... Mm -hmm. So the daughters both take the stand... And they're like, that's not our dad's voice. You know, we've known him our whole life. That's not his voice. What 14-year-old, number one, wants to believe it's their dad that wanted their mom dead? And number two, if they, even if they do think it is and he goes to jail, they have no parents. Couldn't you just record him and then play the recordings together and see? Why don't they do that? I don't know. You know, I'm like, what else? I was thinking, like, what else would they, what, what else would they say? You know, that's their dad. If he goes to jail, they have no one and they're minor, so they end up. I mean, there's they no one to lost take them. Their mom. They don't want to lose their dad. Too. No, and where do they go? They go They go into the system because yeah. they go to foster care. And they get split up, most likely. So why wouldn't they? At least for a couple years, and then they're adults. They can do what they want. So after four days of de- de- deliberation, what do you think they find? Well, if they can't prove that that was him on the on the cassette, then that's really the only, the only thing that ties him to the murder, besides all the other stuff that is obvious. I mean, he probably fucking got off. Yeah, he did. He got four days of deliberating, and he's found not guilty. So no one's paying for justice. But then the IRS is like, you know what? We ain't about to have that because we know that he broke the law. It's obvious he did. He we said just, he's a bookie. Mm-hmm. He talked about all this money that he made. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do our own until then he gets So audited. the IRS is like, we're going to look into any gambling or bookies that he did after the murder because they didn't want very smart. They were afraid if they went after anything before the murder – that any money that was left to the girls from the oh. mom would be taken from the daughters. So see, they do have a they little do. bit of yeah. a heart. And so they were like, it's all right, we're going to try them for I'm that. I'm sure the detectives that were on this were very, they probably paid a, played a major role in that yeah. happening. Yeah. So they, in this, and now this time it's going to be in federal court because he broke the, the federal government. Like he, right. he didn't just break city laws or state laws. He broke government laws. So they play the tape in court with the FBI. And so the FBI is like, we got all this cool digitizing. Let's just put it in. So they put it in and they were like, I mean, it was like 99% sure that it had to be him. So reporter Vanessa Leggett, she's the one that Roger spilled all the beans Mm -hmm. to. And even though he's dead now, she still refuses to give them the tapes. She's like, I'm not giving you that. I promised him it'd be after his trial and he didn't get to stand trial. So I'm not going to. So they held her in contempt of court. And so she went to court and and she went to jail for six months. So now they can't use the tapes. What a jack up. Right? Right? Oh my God. So they've arrested Bob for murder for hire, conspiracy. So the FBI was able to prove that was his voice on the tapes. Yes. Murder for hire, conspiracy, and firearms violation because of the guns that he had in his home that weren't licensed. I mean, they got him for everything they could because he, um, he, Apparently, they saw in video that he actually brought Bob, uh, Bob brought Roger from San Diego across state lines to commit murder and with firearms, illegally bought firearms. 
which is a federal offense. So they were like racking up all these charges, like anything he could get. So Roger, how did Roger get the guns to California? Bob sent them him the guns. So he sent them over state lines illegally the first time, unregistered, and then back again with so Roger. So he got, he got through the airport with them. He just didn't get back in. Correct. That's scary that well, he, he got through. He left California with guns. He came to Texas and tried to leave Texas with guns. And Texas oh, said, oh, no. no, you got you got some cows. So California let him leave the airport with guns in his right. suitcase. Mm-hmm. Now, this was also pre-9-11. Correct, 97. So but Texas was like, we ain't having that. We got a bunch of bullshit in that suitcase. I see it. <laughs> this is a murder kit right here. Yeah. What's going on? Bob makes bail to wait for trial, and then he flees. He leaves. So they they arrived to court for the first day of trial, and how was he able to leave? They 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 should have known he was a flight risk. They didn't know anybody following his He's... ass. And did he take his daughters with him? No. So since he was Greek, Greek. There you go. There you go. Opa. <laughs> since he was Greek, they're like he's probably going to go there. So they start tracing back, looking back for mm-hmm. him, right? Mm-hmm. So they see that he was actually stopped in Amsterdam with a fake passport. Dumbass. So once again, we have a situation. Where the fucking government is like, we're not going to extradite him unless, unless you only charge him on everything but the murder for hire. What does the federal government have? What are they going to get from that? What's the point? I'm sure he probably gave them money. He probably did. He had to. Those people are in his back pocket. Yeah. And I'm like, this is just like the the one, the other murder for hire, which is interesting, where the wife wanted the husband dead. Mm-hmm. I know her name was Jody, right? Mm-hmm. Jody. What was their last name? Oh, it was... Galliunas's. Galliunas. Yeah. So, and she had fled and they agreed to the terms. No death penalty, right? Well, here, so there, so we're like, you know what? At this point, as long as he goes to jail. As long as we get him back here, he's in jail, then there's some justice. So he comes in, he comes back, and three months later, he pleads guilty to tax evasion, firearm, and passport violations with a verdict of 12 years. Which at the time it was 2002, so he was put in jail till 2014, but he was released on early for good behavior in January of 2012. And I could not find anything on him since 2012. What about his daughters? No. I'm, I mean, I don't so even. So there's no justice for Doris at no, all. No, no justice. And what about the girl who has those tapes? I know. Roger, like. Vanessa Leggett, yeah. Why wouldn't you want to just go ahead, because he committed suicide, go ahead and just. Let at least Doris get justice. Right. Like, if not, like, for her daughters. Like, you're a daughter. I don't know if she has any kids, but you're obviously a daughter to someone. Mm -hmm. What if your mom was killed? You think she and Roger had an affair? I don't know how they could have. What do you mean? Or He was in jail. No, I'm talking about before he went to jail. Oh, possibly. Whenever he was telling her everything that happened. I mean, it's very Because you don't just spill your guts in a damn room whenever you're being um, questioned. Right? Mm-hmm. There's got to be more to it than that. Well, and this is what he looks like. That's Roger Angleton. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh-uh. Right? Yeah, that's to the suitcase that he took to the Italy airport. And they were like, is no. That, so, is that... That's is duct that tape. Why, oh, my God. And then she had a brother that she was really close to. And he's like, I... Like, I, I know... had a brother? Doris had a brother. Oh. And... It's really sad, and it makes me sad to think that all these little mess-ups, like, I think it's, I understand that you have rights, and I understand that the law protects you so that the police can't 
treat you badly or take advantage of you or twist your words around for innocent people to get in trouble for things they didn't do. But if a man has if a man has guns in his suitcase, wigs and a plot to kill someone, you're really going to be mad at the way they searched his suitcase? Just makes me so mad that a cop who probably in the heat of the moment is like, I can't believe that this, you know, motherfucker did this and look at all the, like, get so mad in the moment that you forget your role or you forget the protocols and that one tiny mistake that you made now cost another person to not get justice. I mean, think about all of the cases that we've done where we talk about how shitty of a job the cops did. I'm not saying all cops don't come at us all. No, I'm all like, I support all, all police. We need them. We need every one of them. Everybody makes mistakes. It doesn't matter what position you do or yeah. what, what job but you do. But it happens a lot is what I'm saying. But the Even kind of, yes. if they're not pissed off or maybe they're just overworked or maybe they're really fresh and they're new and they haven't really learned the ropes yet and they're put in a shitty situation or maybe given a, a case that they it's over their head or whatever. Like there are a thousand different possibilities where they just don't do a good job and like a lot of the missing persons the mm-hmm. cops just did a shitty job or they did they didn't they lost the evidence or they didn't get it in the right way so it was the cops didn't do it exactly the way they're supposed to do it mm-hmm. which is bullshit but it happens and sometimes they do it on purpose maybe he had those guys in his back pocket and maybe it really was just a genuine mistake and they just didn't think about it because at the time they're not thinking that this is going to lead to some murder case, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because he probably told him, oh, no, man, I forgot those were in there, or whatever. Yeah, right? right. Yeah, so it's super sad because no one no one had to pay for what, for the person that actually pulled the trigger didn't pay for it, and the person that put it together and paid the money didn't pay for it. So stupid. I mean, he spent 12 years in jail, but that's nothing. And he didn't, and he stayed in federal jail, federal prison, but he stayed where all the people do all the tax evasion well, stuff. Well, sure. Like, he didn't stay it where... Very, it was probably like a country club. Yeah. And not a jail. Good story. Good story. So, um... Frustrating as hell. Yes. So, the show that I mentioned before is the documentary, and then the book is Death in Texas by Carlton Smith. That's a wrap. So, rest in peace, Doris Angleton. Rest in peace, Doris Angleton. All right. And I hope your daughters are doing well. Yeah, well, now they would have been, what, they were 14 and 97. They're about my age, 35, 36. All right, that's a wrap. All right, bye, y'all. Thank you for listening and sharing and liking and all that stuff. We love you guys.